let's turn our attention to the Word of God. And we're going to be doing a topical today. Last week we looked at one text in particular. This week we're going to be doing another topical. We don't normally do this. Uh, we like to pick a book and work through it verse by verse. And right now we are working through the Gospel of John, but just a little bit of a detour. Um, a lot of things on my heart here at the, the start of a new year. I got away for a few weeks and uh, just thought very deeply about how would I want to encourage and shepherd the congregation uh, at the start of this year. And so that's what we've been doing. And before we even go any further, let me just go ahead and pray for us. Father, we love you. We are so grateful that you called us out of darkness and into the light. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to take our place, to die in our stead. That he suffered the holy wrath of God that was meant for us, that we deserved in love. And thank you that his perfect righteousness was gifted to us freely. It's all your grace, and it's all because of your love. And it's for that reason that we are here today. It's for that reason that we sing. It's for that reason that we gather around your word because we want to know you in a greater way. We want to love you more deeply. We want to serve you more effectively. We want to be an encouragement one to another. And we want to exalt you. We want to honor you. And so I thank you, Father, that you have brought us together on this Lord's Day. Thank you for every single person here in this room. And I pray that you would reward them for coming, getting up, and making it a priority to come into the house of the Lord. And I pray, God, that as the word goes forth, that they would receive a special blessing today, uniquely for each and every person in here. They have very different needs, and you are able, God, more than able, and your word is more than enough to meet every one of those needs. And so we come with that kind of confidence, we come with that kind of expectation. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Okay, well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the church, and I would say kind of the, the theme has been commitment, commitment. Uh, as I said last week, the idea of commitment, it, it may be rather despised in the day and age or the culture that we live in. People are afraid of it, afraid of commitment, or just disregard it altogether, disregard it altogether. But everybody is committed to something on some level. We're all committed to something. Um, people may be committed to something that's very noble um, or maybe not so noble. You may hear, uh, you know, that guy's a real, he's a family man. He's committed. He's devoted to his family. That's a great thing. Uh, that lady, she's very committed to her career. You know, it's a noble thing. That's a good thing. It could be something as simple or trivial as that person is very committed to that series on Netflix. Um, or, as is often the case, it's some kind of a sin. You know, that person is deeply committed or entangled or enslaved into sin. But, man, I tell you what, when I was out there in the world, the kind of commitment I put into the lifestyle that I was living, sometimes I think, Lord, I wish I could put half that commitment into my walk with Jesus. And maybe some of you can, can relate with me. Maybe you know what I'm talking about there. But we all know what it is to be committed. We all know. And Jesus said that wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So basically, you are committed to the things that you love the most. Committed to the things that you love the most. Well, Jesus loves his church. He's very committed to his church. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we talked about the church's commitment to Jesus as the head of the body, and we talked about the church's commitment to itself as the, the body has a responsibility to do the work of the ministry and to minister one to another, every part effectively working together for the good of the whole, right? And so there's commitment there. Well, today, I want to talk about the commitment of the leadership to the body of Christ, the leadership. So we talked about how Jesus is the head of the church, but he's also the chief shepherd. The Bible uses that language. He's the chief shepherd of the flock of God, and he has set under shepherds in place to care for the local church. That is, pastors. 
You know, he is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the, the head pastor of his church. No one in their right mind would take that title or position for themselves. But there are shepherds who try to shepherd according to Jesus' heart and his will. And Jesus installs them into his church to care for the flock. Now, the Bible calls them elders. Maybe you've heard that term before. Uh, we more commonly refer to them as pastors, and that is biblical. Um, in part, my goal today is to explain the role and the function of a, of a pastor elder. You, you should know that. But more specifically, what I want to unpack is the pastor's commitment to the body of Christ. The pastor's commitment to the body of Christ. As members of Calvary Napa, you should know. You should know who the leaders in this church are. Who are the pastors? Who are the elders? You know, uh, right now, our elder board consists of uh, six men. Joe George, Aaron Mosley, Matt Mittman, Joe Ellison, Dan Bernard, and myself. And so we collectively try to govern the church. We'll talk more about that. You know, what are the expectations for the leaders of the church? You should have expectations of your leaders. You should know biblically what you can and should expect from the leaders. What is the form of the church government? How, how do we lead the church? And how can you best pray for the leaders of your church. Uh, man, we need your prayers. And I'll, I'll bring that up a few times throughout this message. And it's good for you to know uh, what, what our job entails and the kind of commitments that belong to us so that you can know how to more effectively pray for us. And you should also know what the leaders expect from the church biblically. There, is, there are mutual expectations uh, there are things that you can and should expect from the leaders, and there are things that the leaders can and should and do expect from the body of Christ, and this is all very biblical, right? You tracking with me? So commitment is good, expectation, biblical expectations are good, and it's just good to be in the know about all of these things. And let me also just say before we get into our first text that, you know, these things really apply to all Christians in a lot of ways. It's not that the pastors and the elders have a, a particular set of responsibilities and, and, you know, it's totally detached from the rest of the body of Christ. We're supposed to be examples to you, and so things that we're called to be and to do, you are too. Does that make sense? And so I want you to kind of understand that too. A lot of this overlaps, and um, it, it applies to you even on that level, and I'll, you know, I'll hit on those things as we go. But with that, why don't we go ahead and consider our first point today, and that is simply the pastor's commitment to shepherd the flock. The pastor's commitment to shepherd the flock. Um, turn with me to John chapter 21. If you have um, one of the Bibles in the, in the chair somewhere nearby, that would be page uh, 1676. So um, we're going to look at a few different texts under this, uh, the pastor's commitment to shepherd the flock. And the, in this text, this is Jesus' call to shepherd. This is Jesus. We're going to look at Peter's call, and then we're going to look at Paul's call to shepherd. But this is Jesus's, and that's a fitting place to start. So just a little bit of context here. Jesus has been crucified. He, he rose again from the grave. He's begun to appear to believers. Now Jesus and the disciples were discouraged. All hope was lost. So they thought, Peter said, you know, I'm just going to go back to what I already knew. And they went fishing and the disciples followed him. And they, uh, they fished all night. They didn't catch anything. The next morning, somebody's standing on the, the shore there. And they say, hey, cast your net back out there. And they do, and they catch uh, so many fish that the nets are beginning to break, and they realize it's Jesus. And Peter just jumps overboard and swims to the shore there, and there Jesus meets them, and he was already cooking some fish, and they sit down, and they eat together, and we have this scene right here, John 21, verse 15. It says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. 
He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now this passage is a treasure trove for us because it reveals to us Peter's restoration. We all know the story. He denied even knowing Jesus three times the night of Jesus' betrayal and, and arrest. And if it weren't for this particular chapter in John, we wouldn't even know how Jesus kind of came back into the, how Peter came back into the story. And so I'm so grateful for John 21. And here we have Jesus, the chief shepherd, calling and commissioning Peter as an under-shepherd to go and to feed his flock, to uh, to tend his lambs. And so three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Three times. And there's actually something going on in the original language here that's not right on the surface in the English. There are different words at play. And so Jesus is saying, Peter, do you agape me? It's a strong word for love. It's like a sacrificial, ultimate kind of love. And Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you, which is a strong love, but it's like a friendship. It's a strong bond. Falls short of agape. And it would appear that what's happening, Peter, who was the most boastful of them all, the one who says, I love you more than anybody else, everybody else will forsake you, but I will die with you. Remember that, Peter? You remember that guy? Well, it doesn't appear to be the same guy at this point, because now Jesus is like, do you love me? And he's like, Jesus, you know I feel very strongly about you. You know, he's, he's not quite so bold, not so bombastic in his claims. And so um, I actually appreciate that. If, the, if there is any significance to this, then that, uh, that tells us something about Peter. He's been humbled. He's been humbled. And so the first thing Jesus says is, do you love me more than these? Now, some people think this is him saying, Peter, are you still going to be so confident that you love me more than the disciples? But others have said, actually, what's probably in mind here is that that great catch of fish that they just brought in. That is Peter's old life. Peter was a fisherman. It's what he knew. And Jesus is saying, look, do you love me more than your old life? Do you love me more than the trade that you were brought up in? If so, then go feed my sheep. I'm, I'm commissioning you into a whole new life, a whole new calling. And so what is Jesus commissioning and calling Peter to do? To feed his lambs, to tend his sheep, to feed his sheep. And this is a call to lead, to provide, to protect, to clean, to nourish, and to heal. If you've ever read the book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, man, I cannot recommend that book to you highly enough. And it brings such insight into what a shepherd actually does. And the parallels he draws between that and pastoral ministry are uh, breathtaking, really. And so uh, all of that is involved in pastoral ministry. And all of that happens as a result of the word, word word-based ministry. Our souls are restored. All that we need is provided. We are protected from false teaching. There is healing. There is nourishment. There is leadership. There is wisdom. There's guidance. There's all of that. As the Holy Spirit is ultimately working in the hearts and lives of the people through His Word. Amen? And so it's the job of the under-shepherd to lead in that way. Jesus said, if you love me, you will feed my flock. So one very real way in which a pastor expresses his love to Jesus is by loving Jesus' people. And isn't that consistent with what I've been saying over the last couple weeks? Jesus so closely identifies and associates with his, with his people. He said to, to Saul on the road to Damascus, you know, you've persecuted them, you've persecuted me. You know, they, he's been persecuting the church. He says, why have you persecuted me? Well, now he's saying to Peter, if you love me, you're feeding the flock. It's like loving the flock is like loving Jesus. And so that is the call, that is the commitment of a shepherd in the local church. You understand? Now, I shouldn't have to say that, but it needs to be said because there's a 
all kinds of stuff going on in the church that's anything but that. You see pastors that are entering the stage on a zip line. You know, we've talked about that. Is there any way we can run a, a zip line from the balcony up there to, and I can come just gliding into the pulpit, you know? I mean, uh, we joke, obviously, about that, but that really happens. Pastors do that. They roll on the stage on Harley-Davidson's and, and just all kinds of, you know, crazy, high-energy, emotional, frenzy-type stuff. That's not feeding the flock. That's just whipping the crowd up into a, uh, an emotional frenzy, trying to get high energy, trying to, to give entertainment. Just simply appealing to an entertainment, um, you know, an entertainment addicted society, right? Entertain me, entertain me, not feed me, entertain me. That's the cry of the masses. And so the, the shepherd, the under shepherd of Jesus is called to feed, um, we're not here to give self-help, feel-good speeches. That's, what a lot, that's really what's going on in the church. Now, I do want to motivate you, and I do want to encourage you. You know, that's, a, that's quite an idea. Maybe I'll try that one day, you know. Uh, but, you know, I certainly don't want to discourage you or have you leave here unmotivated. I want to motivate you and encourage you to holiness, right, to Christ-likeness. Um, but if it's nothing more than a, you need to feel better about yourself and feel good self-help speeches, I am not feeding you, I'm not serving Christ well. And so I don't want to just give you socially and politically charged rhetoric. Man, you know, if, if I really went there, if that became the cry of our church was social and political issues, and I made that really the bulk of what I talked about and I just appealed to your anger... This church would blow up. I mean, that people want that. They crave that. You know, they want to get mad about something. They want to rally around what just gets them upset. And you see a lot of that going on out in the world, but that's not feeding anybody. It's feeding you, but it's not feeding. It's feeding a part of you that doesn't need to be fed, right? And so we got to watch out for that. And shock value. I'm not here for shock value. You know, there was a pastor a couple weeks ago who was... Um, teaching on where Jesus uh, healed a guy by putting spit in his eyes. And, you know, that's a bizarre story in and of itself. But this guy really uh, took it to a whole new level. And so he was attempting to make a, a, make a real profound and deep point out of this. But he's got a guy up on the stage, and he just starts hawking loogies in his hand. I mean, I doubt that Jesus did that, you know. Uh, you know but, I mean, this guy was just bringing it up from his stomach. I mean, he was just hawking and hacking and multiple times, and then he just all in that guy's face. You know, that's, that's, yeah, that's horrific. It's disgusting. It's, I felt so bad for the guy that he did that to. That's humiliating. But it's shock value is what it is, because here we are talking about it, and that's what they wanted, you know, but that's not, uh, that's not feeding the sheep. And so our commitment to you is to feed the flock of God with the Word of God. Amen. That's our goal. That's what we can give you. You know, Chuck Smith used to say, whatever you do, whatever you, you know, means that you use to bring people in, you got to keep doing that to keep them. And so if, if it's shock value that we have to use or high energy that we have to use to bring you in, we just have to keep doing that more and more. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. You know, we... we we're here to feed you the Word of God and to shepherd your souls through the means, the ordinary means of grace He's given the church. Amen? That's our commitment to you. Amen? All right, we'll flip over to uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Um, again, that would be page 1859 in uh, one of the Pew Bibles, if you want to call it that. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is Peter's call to shepherd. And I love that because Peter was commissioned by Jesus to feed the flock. And now Peter is basically taking that same commission and giving it to other pastors. The very thing that, that changed his life forever, the words of Jesus, he's now passing on to other pastors. And you can just hear it in the language. That is so neat to me. 
So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Peter says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So what I want to point out first here is notice that he addresses the elders. He says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. So those three words are very significant. Elders, shepherd, overseers. And so elders, presbyteros in the Greek is where we get the word Presbyterian from. Um, this would be the elder, the, 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 the marked man or men, the ones that are kind of singled out, called out, put in place, in position to lead the church, the elder. And then he says to shepherd the flock. Now that's poimen is the Greek word there. And uh, this is what the elder does. Now, the word pastor is only used as a noun one time in the New Testament, in the text that we looked at last week, Ephesians 4, where it actually describes the pastor-teacher. But it's more what the elder does. It's, it's a verb. So shepherding, pastoring, is the job of the elder. It's what the elder does. And so shepherd, pastor, it's the same thing. Same thing, and it's the activity or the action of the elders. Does that make sense? Tracking with me? Okay. And then he says, uh, serving as overseers. This is a episkopos. Um, the bridge guys say episcopus. That's what they call me. Hey, episcopus. And uh, we always get a laugh out of that. But that's kind of the management aspect of it, you know, oversight. Considering the overall well-being of the church, the various ministries, leaders, volunteers, congregants, uh, every age group and demographic, uh, keeping a pulse on the church, orchestrating. It's not our job to do all of the work of the ministry, as I've already said. It's our jobs to oversee. It's our jobs to make sure everybody's in place and everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, and we're keeping, uh, keeping an eye on the condition of the overall uh, flock as it's moving forward, right? And so those are three aspects, three components of what we understand to be pastoral ministry. We are elders who pastor and exercise oversight, who manage, if you will. All three of those are present in uh, Peter's admonition there, and we'll see here in a moment in Paul's, all three of those are present there as well. It's good to know that. So what does Peter tell them to do? He says, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. And the first thing he says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, in verse 2. So the, the shepherds have to be in the midst. They have to be in the midst of the people. You don't want shepherds who are totally disconnected, who you can never find them. Um, I understand the, the, the purpose of um, multi-site multi churches and the screens and Having a pastor who's up on the on the uh, the the screen, you know, I, I I get all that. I'm not hating on that, but that pastor is not in the midst of his people, and so that's an issue. And so, um, you know, there's plenty of good pastors and teachers, epic pastors and teachers that we can watch online on YouTube on on various um, platforms. But the local elder is supposed to be in the midst of their people that God has called them to serve and to pastor. And so that's something that you should expect of your pastors and elders, that they are in the midst of the people, right? He says, they are entrusted to you, verse 3. Uh, elders recognize <clears throat> that we have a responsibility, we have a stewardship. <clears throat> you guys don't belong to me, you belong to Jesus, talk more about that in a moment, but I recognize that it's a trust from the Lord, and so that's a heavy and a weighty responsibility, and I recognize that you are ultimately the sheep of his pasture, and it's my job to care for you under the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. 
Peter says in verse 3, to shepherd them by being examples. Now, that's, that's heavy. That's heavy. Um, most people like to say things like, don't follow me, follow Christ. But the pastors don't have that luxury. The past, that's a cop-out. We have to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And so pray for us. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But man, pray for us. What a responsibility to be an example of Christ to the flock, to shepherd in that way to those who have been entrusted. He says in verse 2, not to do it by compulsion, but to do it willingly and eagerly. You know, as a pastor, sometimes I see things in guys and I see potential. And, you know, as a leader, my desire is to pinpoint that and, and try to call people into it. And I have found that, man, I can push guys into something that they don't necessarily want to do. They may have the goods, they may have the makings, but their heart's not in it. They don't really want to do it. And I have to be careful not to try to compel people into something. It has to be something that they willingly do and eagerly do, right? And uh, we're told that it must not be for dishonest gain. Now, there's a lot of that going on in the world today. A lot of pastors out there that are doing what they do for dishonest gain. Now, most pastors, if not all the pastors I've ever met, that's simply not the case. Uh, they're doing the best they can. They're just getting by, and their objective is to serve God's people well, and they are certainly not in it for the money, and they are certainly not living even remotely close to lavish on any level. But, you know, there is plenty of that going on out there. There's a, a you ever heard of preachers and sneakers? You ever heard of that? It's like an Instagram, uh, which I know very little about Instagram, but it's an Instagram page, whatever, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. And this guy basically will uh, find pastors that are wearing very lavish clothes and especially shoes. And so I'm talking about $5,000 tennis shoes, high tops, you know, and, and on and on it goes. And there's a lot of that going on out in the world. I mean, you just wouldn't believe the kind of, the kind of stuff that these pastors are wearing. And um, they're trying to project a certain kind of image. And uh, it's all bad. It's all bad. And so some churches started taking pictures of their pastor's clothing and sending it in because they're like $20 shoes from Target and stuff like that. They're like, that's my pastor, you know. God keep them humble and we'll keep them poor. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Peter also says not to serve as being uh, lords. No power tripping, no domineering pastors at all, okay? Because ultimately, I am nobody's Lord, and I am not the chief shepherd Jesus is, and I have a responsibility to love his flock graciously, gently. And so, um, you know, I have, I have ran into pastors like that, you know, and, and they're, they're tripping, power tripping, and it's, a, it's a, a sad thing to see, and much damage is done, but um, it, it should not be that way. It should not be that way. Jesus is gracious and kind to his people. Don't get me wrong, there's a time to be firm, and there are even times where you know, discipline must be administered, but um, even that's with fear and trembling and, and deep reverence and, and respect to Jesus as the, the chief shepherd of the church, right? And so you know, the, the, that's Peter's admonition. That's Peter's call to the shepherd. That's what a, a biblical shepherd ought to look like according to Peter and according to Jesus. So now let's look at Paul. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, um, verse 17. We're going to look at two little texts in this section, um, 17 through 21 and then 28 through 31. And this first little portion, this is Paul's example. Paul kind of speaks of his conduct when he was there in Ephesus. And then the next passage is Paul's commands to the elders, elder shepherd like this. So that's, that's kind of how this, this flows. So Acts chapter 20, verse 17, again, that's page uh, 1716 in the chair Bibles. He says, um, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. 
And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul was there in Ephesus for three years, and so he planted the church, and then he pastored the church. He was there longer than anywhere else. He was at Corinth for about a year and a half. This is the longest that he ever stayed in one particular place and pastored. And he said that when I was with you, I served the Lord with all humility. So he was a humble servant leader. And that's, that's how we aim to lead. Uh, we're not cattle herders. We don't have a cattle prod. We're not trying to push you or, or domineer or intimidate or exercise force. That's not leadership, right? Leaders are those who have people who would follow them. And, and so shepherding, the, the, the sheep follow the shepherd. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me, right? And that is humble servant leadership. And that was Paul. Paul modeled that for the people. He gave his life to the service of the Lord and the service of his people with all humility. He said, I taught you publicly and house to house. So Paul was very accessible. You know, he taught crowds, but he was very eager to meet with people in their homes and to have very intimate, close association and fellowship. Such should be the case, right? That should be the case for uh, good shepherds and leaders, willing to, to be with the people, to open up their homes to people, and to go into the homes of others. And he said that I preached repentance and faith. Paul was a gospel preacher, all right? He preached that gospel everywhere he went. He was about that. He said that I purpose to know nothing among you but Christ and what? Him crucified. I mean, that was the center of it all, the centrality of the cross, of the gospel, the good news that God is in the world saving sinners, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in the place of sinful men and women, the perfect, one and only, holy and beloved son, the spotless lamb who fulfilled God's law in every single point, the only one who could ever do that. In all of human history, he kept God's law perfectly. The only person in whom the Father could actually say, I am truly pleased. The Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to do that for us because we could, ne we could never do that. We haven't done that, nor will we ever. Not on our best day, all right? And so we were also helplessly, hopelessly lost far from God, dead in our trespass and sin, yet God in His great love and compassion and kindness sent His Son on a mission to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And after fulfilling God's law to the T, He took our penalty on Himself there on the cross. He died a horrific sinner's death in our stead. God's wrath that was righteously and justly intended for us was poured out on His Son there on the cross Jesus absorbed that wrath, and he said, it is finished. He's paid the price. He rose again from the grave, declaring victory. That was God's amen. When Jesus, said, when Jesus said, it is finished, and he rose from the grave, that was God's amen. It is so. It is done. What my son said is true and right. He has risen, ascended at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit has come, just as Jesus promised, the helper, the comforter, would come, and now if you call upon the name of Jesus, if you trust him for salvation, you will be born again, made new forevermore. Amen? That's the good news, folks. Is that not good news? That is good news. That is the best news. Yeah, amen. That's the greatest news. The greatest news. And that's what Paul was about. Paul preached that news in any and every context and opportunity. And he said, you know what? I kept nothing back that was helpful. I kept nothing back. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. 
Now that, that there is one of the most important things, that pastors, that elders are willing to say the hard thing, that we're willing to say what the Bible says. And we are moving into a time where that will cost us, you know. Um, I think it's called Bill C4. Maybe you've heard of this. Uh, it's, it's a push against what is called conversion therapy. And so the idea is if you say anything against homosexuality or try to encourage people out of that lifestyle, you will be penalized for it. Now, that's happened in Canada, and I think five years imprisonment is uh, one of the penalties, and this just started, happened about a week ago. But I got an article from a buddy of mine who is in Indiana at a Bible college, and uh, they have a huge counseling ministry there. And the article said that that particular church was getting ready to be on the front line of this battle, and it is going after non-unlicensed uh, counselors, and that would be pastors and biblical counselors. And so, um, you know, that, that is to say we're not allowed to take a stance on God's design for marriage. We can't, we can't take a definitive stance there. If, if we preach that, that could cost us. That's where we're going. We're, we're right on the cusp of that. And a lot of people are going to bend to that out of fear. But, you know, Paul said, when I was in your midst, I didn't withhold anything that would be helpful to you. I declare to you the entire counsel of God. And so that's, that's a commitment that the shepherd has to be willing to make before God, before Christ, and to his people. Amen? That's our commitment to you here. That's our commitment. Well, now Paul goes right into his expectations for the, uh, for the, the elders, the pastors. Look at verse 28. He says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So there it is. To the elders, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To what? To shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among uh, yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul says, take heed. That is, beware, pay attention, guard Take care. To what? First to yourselves, and then all to the flock. See, pastors have to watch themselves too, right? Because pastors are susceptible to being duped, to being, to being drawn away into all kinds of goofiness, or even falling into to sin and being disqualified. And so Paul says to the elders, watch out for yourself and watch out for the sheep. Recognize that the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, so that's a divine commission for the elder. Recognize that the church was purchased with the blood of Jesus. That's huge. This is a blood-bought group right here. Okay, I didn't shed my blood for you. Jesus did. And so I have a high and a holy responsibility to shepherd this flock according to Jesus' heart, right? And then he says, recognizing that savage wolves will arise, not sparing the flock. So what does he say? Watch. Be watchful. Be on the lookout. This is a very serious aspect of being a shepherd. We're not called to stand by and watch as the sheep get ravaged by wolves. We are called to watch and then go into action when we see danger. We're to be proactive. We're to be aggressive. The shepherd has a stick for a reason. And he trains well to be able to use that, that thing to beat wolves. Amen? And so... That's a serious part of being a pastor. And you know, a lot of times sheep, they don't like that. Um, when I or one of the other pastors uh, say something about another false teacher or false teaching, sometimes people will, will challenge that. You, you know, you shouldn't name names. Or maybe, you know, they feel like somehow that's being harsh or unloving. But look, I'm a shepherd, and you're God's sheep. I'm not going to, oh, nice wolf, it's okay. It's just in your nature. You can't help it. No, I'm going to smash that wolf's face, right? I mean, that's what the shepherd's got to do. And I can't apologize for that. Um, I, you know, and 
it just is what it is. And sometimes I struggle with even bringing up things that are going on out there because it's like you may not even be aware and, you know, I can mention something you've never even heard of and now you're going to go look it up on YouTube for yourself and maybe it was better just to leave it unsaid. And so those are the kinds of things that we have to always filter it through. But I try to be, there's a balance. I'm not trying to live out in the world and all the goofy, I mean, there's no end to the goof, the chicanery and the goofballery going on out there, Okay. But from time to time, I think it's necessary to bring it up and to say, watch out for this stuff, folks. People are buying into it. They're buying into it, and, and we're susceptible. That's the call of the shepherd. All right, now we're going to really pick up the pace. Um, point number two. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. You know, I, try to, I really try to make these messages not unbearably long. I think I've gotten a little better about that. But as I was thinking about this, man, I get one, you know, let's just say I go an hour. I got one hour out of the week to pour into you guys. How many hours does the world get to pour into you? All right, social media, TV, work, school, just the society all around. It's pervasive. So can I have an hour to try to wash some of that off? Can I have an hour to try to, like, you know, fill your brain and your heart with good things? All right, come on. All right, let's roll. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This is a faithful saying. Now, this is the pastor's commitment to character qualifications. Character qualifications. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and snare of the devil." So the first thing we see here, if a man desires the position of a bishop, now that word bishop, that's overseer, same word, episkopos. Uh, if, if, a, if a man desires that position, he desires a good work. Now, desire is used twice here. It's actually two different words in the Greek. And so it's an inward longing and an outward kind of going for it, reaching for it. And so if a person has an inward desire for the position of an overseer, and he is actively doing the work, that's a good thing. All of those need to be intact, right? A desire to be a pastor, a desire to do the work of a pastor, and actually doing it, right? That's part of qualification. You can have all of the qualifications, not have the desire, you're not qualified. And so that's number one. And then Paul gives a list of nine positive commands here that should be true of any pastor, and then he gives six negative commands, six things that a pastor should not be or do. And so of the nine commands, he says blameless, and that means nothing will stick. And the idea there is that his reputation is so pristine that if something were to come up, some kind of an accusation, your gut level response would be, I don't, I, I can't, I don't believe that, I can't believe that. It should not be, yeah, I saw that coming, or that doesn't surprise me. Right, And so that's, that's the kind of reputation the pastor is aiming to have. Husband of one wife, he's literally a one-woman man. He has eyes for no other woman. He is not a flirtatious man. Eyes for his wife only. Right, And so that's very important. Temperate, that's alert, watchful, clear-headed, vigilant, sober-minded, orderly, uh, or yeah, properly ordered priorities, a man of priority. Sober-minded, good behavior, it's orderly, the opposite of chaotic, hospitable, and it literally means a lover of strangers. I think the idea is to um, make a person no longer feel like a stranger as quickly as possible, to make them feel cared for and, and loved and, and seen, right? And so the elders must be hospitable, able to teach. Now, out of this whole list here, there's only one, one thing that is listed as a skill, and this is it. 
an ability to effectively, clearly, and accurately communicate God's Word. Everything else is character, which tells us that God is far more concerned about the character in a pastor even than his giftings per se, right? And so I'll tell young guys that are aspiring to be in ministry, your character is, is so important that if you have a little bit of Bible knowledge and a strong character, you're going to be so much more effective right now than if you had all kinds of Bible knowledge and you weren't living it out, all right? You will do damage in that regard. So someone with a little bit of Bible knowledge and a lot of godliness is an is a awesome weapon in the hands of God. And so character is so important. He says that they must be gentle. Man, this is important. I used to be at this faith-based ministry called U-Turn for Christ, and um, it's a recovery um, program. And there was this guy that would come and lead Bible studies, and he was like a, I think it was a Vietnam veteran and an interrogation specialist, and now he was like a... Um, public defender on a federal level, and this guy was just a trip. And he would come in, and his tactic was to just try to get you as upset as he could get you. It, it must have been just to play mind games to some psychological approach. And he had many ways he would do this, but he would love to ask. I learned to never raise my hand with this guy. But he would be like, do you love your families? And then, of course, everyone would raise, your hands and raise their hands. And they'd be like, no, you don't. If you did, you wouldn't be here. And then, you know, and then he just goes in from there, right? Well, you know, that's not gentle, all right? That's not gentle at all. That's just trying to provoke and get people upset and tie them in a pretzel. That, can't, that should not be. Um, Paul says they must manage their own household well. It's a microcosm. If they're leading their home well, that, that indicates they can lead the church well. They must have a good testimony outside the church, you know, I, uh, I knew of some folks at this car lot where I used to live, and they were telling me about this, uh, this guy who was a well-known Christian in the community, but he came in to buy a car, and they're like, oh, that guy. He, this guy, he's such a, you know, con. He's just had a terrible reputation. I didn't know that, and I was like, dang, you know, that's, that's sad. It should not be that way. Um, but this guy, I guess, had just come in and been such a nuisance there in the dealership that uh, that was the kind of reputation he had in the community. Well, that cannot be for pastors. They have to be reputable in the church, outside the church. Paul then says they must not be. So six things. Um, not given to much wine. That's not a prohibition against drinking altogether. They have to keep that in check. You know, never drunkenness. It's funny because the deacons uh, also have that same prohibition, but the language is even stronger so the deacons are really not to be given to wine. I was thinking, what is the reason? What would be the distinction? I thought the, the deacons deal with the practical issues and the elders deal with the people issues. So it's as if the elders are allowed to drink just a little bit more um, because of the people issues that they have to go through. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, not given to much wine. Not violent. Now that should be obvious not violent, but, you know, it's not to some people. And so uh, after I got out of U-Turn for Christ, I was serving at the Calvary there, and I was a youth leader, and um, U-Turn would have a Friday night church service, and they had a new worship leader there, and he liked to make the people stand for the whole service. And I just felt so bad for the whole worship portion. He would make them, and the guys worked hard, man, all week. And uh, so I came in, I was like, hey, brother, after the first song, would you invite him to sit? And um, he, he kind of looked at me weird and said, okay, old man. And he started rubbing his head because I was bald, you know, baldy, bald joke. And uh, I was like 29 years old at the time. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm old, I guess. And so I was like, I was taken aback by that. I said, look, here's the deal, man. Just have him sit after the first song. And I, I left, and I was out in the hallway uh, talking to someone, I turn around, and he's like right behind me, and he's like, you here, and he goes down the hallway, stomps down the hallway, and he's standing there with his like fist, and he's like, here now, and I'm like, man, this guy's getting ready to swing on me, and so, you know, I did what any, you know, youth pastor should do, I went Cobra Kai and chopped him right in the throat, <laughs> I said, don't flex on me, this is Calvary Chapel, we're real thugs around here, okay? I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But I was like, man, 
this guy's the worship leader, and I'm thinking I better duck before I get swung on, you know? That should not be. That should not be. And so he says they must not be greedy for money. They must not be quarrelsome, argumentative. They must not be covetous. And they shouldn't be um, a novice, a neophyte. Uh, the Greek word is neophytos, and it means newly planted, like a little tender shoot, you know, like a little three-leaf clover sticking out of the ground. It could just be pulverized down into the dirt. And so, you know, a pastor needs to be seasoned, he needs to be tested, he needs to be proven, he needs to be able to withstand uh, pressure uh, so that he doesn't crumble underneath it. And that takes time, it takes years, really, uh, to see if someone, you know, you, I've found in ministry that it takes a few years to really see the right test come along to see what a person's going to do, you know, uh, because you know people really well, you think until the right test comes along. And that doesn't usually happen in a day. It doesn't usually happen even in a several months or a year. It takes a few years. And, you know, everybody's going to do kind of respond sideways or goofy, and this goes for all of us. You know, we should expect that. Nobody's ever going to respond to difficulty or hardship or testing well. But how do you respond to correction? That is what is most telling to me. If a person can take correction and, and rebuke even and respond humbly, graciously, and then that is a mark of maturity. Because we're all going to mess up and we're all going to do goofy things. It's just the way that it is. But what has been most impressive to me is how people receive correction. Right? And so anyways, you know, pray for your pastors and give us grace because pastors are human and we feel the immense pressure of these qualifications. That's something you probably have never given any thought to, but as I was wanting to be a pastor, this was like hanging over my head. And if I were to fall short in any one of these points, it's like, oh man, and I'm trying to be a pastor and I can't, you know, I'm struggling in this area. And then once you become a pastor, it's like, oh man, I'm a pastor and I just blew it in that area. And I remember being told by one of the elders when they ordained me, he said, wait for the day when you mess up and your wife says, way to go, Pastor Rob. <laughs> and I will tell you, my wife has never done that, not once, right? But it was shortly thereafter, I was transitioning out of working as a machinist, and I was going on staff, and my boss was um, a member of our church, and um, he had done something. Somebody had warned me that he was going to do, and I was like, no, he would never do that. And he did, and I got so mad. I mean, I was, I was hot. I was upset. And so I, um, I had to, like, vent. So I texted Jess and, you know, got it off my chest and then hit send and then realized I sent it to him. <laughs> and I was like, no! And he fires back, I'm sorry, Pastor Rob. Pastor Rob, Pastor Rob, Pastor Rob. And I was like, great, here we go. And so that's just the way that it is, you know. Um, pastors will always, I had a pastor tell me, he's like, you will do, you will spend years doing good. And the one time you mess up, that's what you'll be remembered for. And that's true. And, you know, pastors are to be impervious to all annoyances and frustrations. We have to be able to take that. Take that, just da da, and be so holy, <laughs> just so patient, so gentle, um, and it is just not easy, you know. And so pray for pray for the leaders, pray for the pastors, uh, because we have some serious qualifications, and we're committed to that. Amen. Committed to that, and we're not perfect, but that's the trajectory. That should be the general tenor and tone of, of our hearts and our walks with, uh, with, with the Lord and our ministry. And so that's a heavy commitment. And then our last one. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to look at two verses, verse 7 and verse 17. Uh, page 1848. Now, this would be the church's commitment to the pastor. Now, I was going to frame this. This is the, the, the weight of the responsibility of the pastor, because that's certainly here. But I feel like this overwhelmingly speaks more to the body of Christ, the congregation's responsibility to the elders. 
and it's not an easy thing as the pastor to stand up here and say. Um, it's kind of awkward, but you know what? I'm not doing anybody any favors by being cowardly uh, about what the Word of God says, right? And so Hebrews 13, 7, it says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the Word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. That's verse 7. Now look at verse 17. It says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So the first thing he says, he says two things. In, seven, in verse 7, remember, and then in verse 17, obey. Now, remember is to, to call to mind, to bear in mind, take into account, don't overlook or disregard what? Those who rule over you, those who exercise authority and leadership in the church, specifically those who have spoken the word of God to you. See, there it is. That's, that's the responsibility of those who rule in the church is to teach and preach and counsel the word of God. And the writer of Hebrews says, remember those people who do that, whose faith follows. So you're to follow the example of the faith and the lives of those who teach and preach and, and counsel in the church. And then he says, considering the outcome of their faith. So take note of the fruit. My pastor in South Carolina used to always say, listen with your eyes. Watch a person's life. You can listen to what they say all day long, but ultimately... You're going you're gonna to see a lot as you watch the way they live their lives in and out throughout the years. And that's part of why the elders are supposed to be in the midst of the people to be accessible uh, so that you know who I am and what I'm about, right? And the other elders for that matter. And so they're to look to the elders. And as I said last week, and I benefit greatly uh, from you know going online and listening to lectures and sermons, I do. It has shaped me immensely. But there's something very special about the local church and the pastor that the Holy Spirit has called to shepherd your souls. And so uh, the Bible says that those are the men that you're to look to, uh, whose faith you are to follow, considering the outcome of their lives and the shape of their walks. You know, I will often say to guys, young guys, would you wish your walk on somebody else? You know, that's a, that's a heavy thing to consider. Would I wish my walk with Jesus on somebody else? And that challenges me to, to stay in shape in that regard, right? Because I'm supposed to be the example, you know. I'm supposed to be, in a, in a very real sense, the one that you look to and say, do I believe this stuff or not? Is this legit? And so um, pray for us, right? And it says to obey those who rule over you. He says, be submissive to the leadership. That, that means go with the flow. You know, you may not always like or agree with everything that the leaders do, but if it's not ungodly or unbiblical or harmful, then, you know, go with the flow. That's what submission is. It's, it's when you don't like it or agree with it necessarily, but you, you go with the flow anyways. You understand? It ain't submission if we agree with and like it, everything. That's just easy. That's just doing what we want to do, what we feel like doing, right? And so there's a time, he says, when you ought to come up underneath the authority and leadership and go with the flow. He says, let them lead with joy and not with grief. You know, pastoral ministry can be an anxiety and discouragement-filled thing. It just can be. But you know what makes it joyful is when the people uh, are, when they're an encouragement, when they're a blessing, when they are supportive. Because I can't lead if you don't let me lead, right? That's, I'm not leading. I'm not a leader if I don't have followers, Right? And so um, I'm not a leader if I'm trying to force. And so what gives a pastor great joy and encouragement is when the people are willing to, gladly willing to be shepherded. And they are willing to go along and follow the pastors where they lead. He says, if you, if you don't let them lead with joy, you know, then that's unprofitable for you. Nobody wins. It's, on, it's not joyful for the pastors. It's not joyful for the people. Nobody wins. He says, the elders watch out for your souls. The elders watch out for your souls. Now that is a heavy responsibility. 
That is a weighty responsibility. And you know what? We're doing the best that we can to care for your souls. And so that, that's massive. And then it says, as those who must give an account. We have to give an account to God one day. We have to stand before the Lord and give an account for our stewardship of your souls. That is a massive responsibility. Pray for us. Pray for the wisdom and the strength of the Holy Spirit for your elders, right? And so with that, I'm going to close with one application. I brought this up last week, and I'm going to bring it up again, and I'm going to keep bringing it up. Um, you know, we're talking about doing membership here at Calvary Napa. And this would be one of the key reasons for membership is because who do we give an account for exactly? Because we got a lot of folks that come and go, and I, don't, I haven't even got to know you. I don't know your name, some of you even. And, and do I give an account for Do you consider me your pastor? Is this your church? Do you even know that yet? Do I know that? Do we know that? I, I want us to be as clear as we can possibly be. Because we as the elders have to answer to God one day for our stewardship of the members of this church. Does that make sense? Do you feel the weight of that? I hope you do. The bottom line is we want to be able to serve you better. Now, here's, here's the thing about the membership thing. There's going to be people in here who say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's right. There are going to be people who are going to be like, oh, I've never even thought of that. I, you know, what is that? And there's going to be other people who are going to be like, I don't see the need for that. You know, that's, we've never done that before. And I would say that usually the folks who feel that way are the people that are doing exactly what we would want the members to do, right? They are members. They're, they're already functioning in all of that. They're the go-getters. They're consistent. They're serving. They're giving. They are faithful, right? And uh, they don't see the need for it. But, you know, a lot of people, they're just not over that hump yet. They're not, they're not here, there just yet. They still have questions. They haven't really connected. They haven't made up in their own mind and heart that they're there yet. And this, I believe, to be a very helpful and practical way to bring the sheep on in. This is who we are. This is what we're about. This is the mission. We are the pastors. Do you want to join with us on this? Then, then say, I want to be in, you know, and, and, you know, we'll bring you in. And we can all be on the same page. We want to strengthen the church. We want to help the people who are on the outside, on the periphery, come in. We want everybody in that place to be as in and solid and committed as the people who are seasoned and fully in the game and serving and, and partnering with us. As the elders, that's our goal. And listen, here's another thing. I feel like the Lord put this on my heart as I came in this morning. A shepherd goes where he goes, and his goal is to not lose any sheep. Jesus said, I'm not going to lose one. I don't want to lose any sheep in this. In this. You understand? I, I do, we move with fear and trembling. I realize that there are going to be a handful of people that get spooked by that. And we don't want to lose any sheep along the way. Amen? I want, to, I want to make it to where Jesus is calling us to go, and I want to say that I didn't lose any. And so follow us. You know, follow us as we step out into new territory and try to take new strides to strengthen and shepherd the flock more deliberately and intentionally because I'm convinced that this is going to bless the church, bless the body of Christ. At the end of the day, that's our goal. Right? We want to strengthen the sh uh, church and we want to lead well. That's our commitment to you. Amen? Jesus is committed to his church. The church is committed to itself. And the pastors, the elders, are committed to you. You need to know that. You need to believe that, more importantly. I hope you feel that. I hope you've experienced it. We love you. The pastors of this church love you. Amen? All right, let's pray. We praise you, Father, and we thank you for your great kindness. Thank you for how you have loved us in the Son, and thank you that we are accepted in the Beloved. And I just pray for everybody here, Lord. I pray a blessing over them for this coming week. I pray that they would have peace and joy unspeakable. I pray that they would have rest for their souls and that all of their needs would be met. All of their provisions, God, would abound. I pray for strength for the wounded and the, the sick and the hurting. I pray for confidence and boldness for the fearful and the, the worriers in the room, the anxiety-stricken. 
I pray for friendship and fellowship for the isolated and the lonely people, and I pray above all that they would experience that fellowship of, of their Savior and the nearness of your presence in all circumstances. God, help us as we move into a new season here and we step out in faith and seek to strengthen the body of Christ through membership. Give us wisdom to take practical steps to that end. Give us unity, God, at all costs. We must have unity. We must preserve the unity in the body of Christ. Your goal is to mature the body of Christ, as we have already seen from the Scriptures, that we would grow up into Him who is the head. And so I pray that you would bless this next step that we as the elders hope to take to that end. And so we praise you, Lord. We bless your holy name. You're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.